You're listening to Decidedly Dry. I'm your host, Jess Steitzer. This is a sober podcast where we actually focus on the good. Amazing, right? We spark inspiration. We try to provide some hope and we help motivate you. I promise to always keep it real, provide some dry humor, and remind you every single episode why sobriety is truly a superpower. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, just head on over to decidedlydry.com. Thank you so much for pushing play today. Let's get started. Welcome back, my friends. So glad that you're here. And man, I just got to say, I am so honored that I have this unique opportunity to share these amazing stories with you. You know, it's funny. I've actually received some pretty wonderful messages lately from some of you, messages saying just how you've been binging the podcast or you're just loving the show. And number one, thank you. Those messages, they seriously mean the world to me. Second, can we just pause and think about how brave and incredible the women are that come on this show? I mean, such a vulnerable and brave act to publicly publicly share their story. So guests, if you're listening, thank you. I really hope that I can just keep bringing many, many more episodes to you guys because it is just such a powerful act to share our story and so beneficial to hear the stories. Quick shout out to Amber. Amber, thank you so much. I'm sending you a huge hug. I appreciate you donating to the show. You rock. Listeners, if you believe in this podcast and you want to give back, you can always help cover my production costs by donating on the website, www.decidedlydry.com. Okay, what do you say we get to this week's episode, huh? Today, I'm interviewing Kelly Kitley. Kelly is a licensed clinical social worker with over 20 years of experience in the field. She is a sought-after national mental health media expert, author of Myself, and the producer of her short film, Gray Area. Kelly has appeared in hundreds of publications, podcasts, live news, and radio shows. She's a wife, she's a mom of four, and she has been sober for nine years. Here is our chat. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is Jess with Decidedly Dry, and today I have an awesome guest. I have Kelly. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Jess. So good to be speaking with you today. The feeling is mutual. I am so, so excited to have this chat today. And uh, thank you in advance for taking the time. I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. So we are just going to jump right in. Uh, You probably have told your story before, but we're going to start right back at the beginning. And, And before we get into the beginning, why not just tell listeners who you are? So a little bit about yourself, who you are, if you have kids, where you live, all that stuff. Sure. Uh, my name is Kelly Kitley, and I am 44 years old. Um, I'm a Chicago native and grew up above my parents' bar <laughs> in the city. Oh that's always my tagline. And people are like, <laughs> oh, I got it. Okay. <laughs> um, and that's all you need to know about me. No, I'm just kidding. And um, that's a wrap. And- <laughs> <No>. <laughs> And you can fill in the blanks from there. Um, no, I, my husband and I actually met at my parents' bar. I was bartending and he was in grad school down the street. And we have four children, um, ages 16, 14, 12, and 10. And I'm a psychotherapist and author. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, I was in the restaurant industry for many years. So anytime I have someone on that mentions 
bartending or serving. I'm like, oh yeah, we, we know, <laughs> we know what it's like, right? <laughs> A relatable crew for sure. Oh, for sure. Well, let's get into the, the alcohol. When, when did you start drinking? What's your history look like? You know, when did your relationship start to change? Yeah. You know, Jess, I was really aware of alcohol at a young age as I, you know, was joking that, uh, I grew up above my parents' bar, um, as the oldest of five. I mean, really it was like a cheers situation. You know, everybody knew your name. Everybody knew the owner's kids. Um, we lived on a block with a lot of kids whose parents went to the bar and my school was right around the corner. So a lot of the teachers came for happy hour um, and it was just my norm. So I didn't think anything of it. I'd go in and play music on the jukebox. I'd play pool with my siblings. It was, you know, for the most part, really good memories growing up and was just really fun. There were always people around. Um, my mom's siblings lived close, so they would come over and, um, you know, the gene of addiction runs deep on both sides of my family. So that was just like a taste of it. Um, and I had my first drink when I was 12 years old, um, which resulted in a blackout. It was something that I felt like I couldn't wait um, to try it. And it was the right of felt like a rite of passage for me. Um, I didn't intend to get drunk. I just loved it from the minute I started drinking it. It was beer from a keg out of a solo cup with um, some older boys and a friend of mine whose cousin had invited us to a party. Um, and it was really scary. I mean, I woke up coming out of a blackout at 12 years old and swore off drinking from that point. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll never do it. It's horrible. I don't like the way it makes me feel. Um, my mom was really hyper-focused on alcohol for me being the oldest. And um, she is now 25 years in recovery, but at the time was in the height of her drinking. So I think she projected a lot of mm. what's my teenager doing. And, and I wasn't drinking, um, at that time after my first episode, um, and then got into high school and really was a binge drinker. I was an athlete. Um, so, uh, it was like this dichotomy of being really healthy and then also being the life of the party. And um, I also struggled with an eating disorder in high school. And so I would only drink Southern Comfort. <laughs> a really? Interesting. Yes. <laughs> because it was hard alcohol and I thought beer was like too fattening and yeah. Southern Comfort got the job done quickly. And, um, and I wasn't worried about the calories. So sure, sure. Um, but you know, I didn't just sip that, that, that ultimately always ended up, um, me doing something that I regretted or blacking out or, um, a whole host of things, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I would then write it off. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to be the sober driver for the next month so that I would hold myself accountable not to drink. And that was kind of my pattern up until I got married. It was, you know, I would go on these vendors and these weekend, um, like I was the fun Kelly who was always up for an adventure. And then it would be like, Oh no, I'm marathon training. So I'm not drinking for three months. Right. Um, or I'd give it up for dry January or for Lent. And so it wasn't that I couldn't give it up. It was that once I started drinking, I couldn't stop. And so, um, it was this frustration of this cycle for yep. 20 plus years of like, 
drinking Kelly, not drinking Kelly and trying to figure it out. And every time I went back, I was like, I think I have the formula now. (laughs) This is how much I can drink. This is what I can drink. Um, And it never ended up that way. So um, it progressed during my marriage and with four young kids and being a full-time working mom and um, just feeling extremely overwhelmed and anxious. And, um, you know, I'm a psychotherapist. I, my internship in grad school was in addiction because I was fascinated by it because everybody in my family seemed to have an alcohol or drug problem. Um, and I wanted enough information to dodge the bullet. Mm-hmm. And so I thought if I really, you know, and I was exposed to people who had lost their job or had got a DUI or, you know, was recently divorced because of their drinking. So I remember being in my twenties being like, I am not that bad. Like right. I might feel really hungover on a Saturday or but that's normal. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, but seriously, we believe like, you know, Oh, I'm just doing what everybody else is doing you know? Right. Right. And, and, and growing up in the bar and restaurant industry and working in that industry, I seemingly drank like everybody else, you know? Um, and so, but there were people who, you know, weren't sleeping in the corner uh, of the bar at the end of the night or who weren't, you know, walking home down a dark alley by herself, you know? So there were things that were kind of like, concerning for me throughout my drinking. But then I'd call my sisters or my friends and they'd be like, oh, Kelly, you're over-exaggerating. It wasn't that bad. And um, I had a therapist at one point tell me I was too hard on myself. And um, a friend tell me me because I would go through bouts of not drinking, I'd really low tolerance. So if I just built my tolerance up. Oh, be way better. (laughs) You're just not drinking enough. Right. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, there were some flags, right? There were flags all throughout my life, but, um, just little flags. Yeah. Once you could keep walking by, you know, and not, not necessarily need to stop dead in your tracks. Right. And yeah. Okay. So when did it really start to shift? Like, when did you make that switch? So, um, as a lot of people talk about, it was totally out of my hands. I did not plan on it. Um, you know, my best friend from high school had, um, hit rock bottom at a Jay-Z concert in New York and it was, you know, 2013, I think. And, um, it was new year's Eve and she called me on the way back. She's like, I'm done drinking. I'm going to AA. And I was like, okay, you're over-exaggerating. Um, but we, we both drank similarly, you know, and, uh, we were really two peas in a pod in our drinking. And, um, I watched her get sober for a few months mm-hmm. and it was miraculous. Like we'd have breakfast and she was so calm and she just seemed so at peace with herself. And it was really hard because I was in the height of my drinking at that point, And I'm watching this experience evolve for her. Um, and, and my drinking towards the end was, you know, I never drank during the day. I, um, you know, would pour a glass of wine after work at the end of, um, the day while I get dinner ready and the kids ready for bed. And, um, you know, by the end of the night, I drink a bottle of wine or sometimes I would only have one or two glasses. Um, but it, started to become every day. And every morning I would be like, Oh, I'm not doing that again. Like that was the worst. And then by two o'clock, I'd be like, maybe just one. Um, and so it, 
I, I just, it was like the secret I was holding as I was listening to her um, talk about her experience. And I had a really bad night one night. Um, and she, my best friend and I were um, registered to do a workout class the next morning. And I showed up as I typically did, but I felt like I was going to throw up the whole time. And it was a CrossFit class. Oh. And I know, brutal. <laughs> I like beat myself up. It was literally like the whole journey was, okay, if you do this, then your punishment is to beat yourself up the next day. So you need yeah. to run really hard or you need Sweat to work out. out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it, we were standing out front of the class in front of the class and she had just kind of said, how's your drinking been? Mm. And it started pouring rain and I started crying and I was like, it's so bad. Um, I just want to stop. And she said, well, you can go to a, a women's AA meeting with me later in the week. And I said, well, I have all these bottles of wine open in my house. I have to drink those first. I didn't plan on stopping drinking today. And she goes, or you could dump them out and just try There's not that. to drink for a couple of days. <laughs> um, so I drove home and cried the whole time and didn't know what I was going to do, but I told her I'd go to this meeting with her. Um, and I showed up to this Wednesday night women's meeting and I felt like I was at home. Mm. Women were so welcoming. The stories were so similar. Um, and I had been to AA meetings before when I was like, eh, maybe I should check this out. And I just didn't feel like I related. Mm. Um, but there was something about this meeting that I really connected with. And so I kept showing up and I kept putting days together. And then it was just, um, you know, I was going on retreats, sober retreats and um, meeting all these other women in my community who were moms and working moms and um, just built a community of sober women. And um, today I have nine years of continued sobriety from alcohol and that nine feels years. really awesome. Yeah. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank Nine you. years. Oh my gosh. And, oh, I just, I laughed out loud when you were talking about that, but I have all these open bottles at home. I mean, we see that like with food too, right? Like, well, I'll start on Monday because I have all this cake left or, <laughs> you know, or you could throw it out. Yes. You could throw yeah. it out and not consume it, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, such a good reminder that, you know, why not just start now? Like why wait, you know, mm -hmm. oh, such a good lesson. So, wow great story. And now one of my favorite parts of the story or the part of the show is when we, we kind of shift to the good, not that the mm. start mm -hmm. isn't good, but mm -hmm. we get to really provide people with hope and examples of all the amazing things that happen after we put the bottle down or after we put the wine glass back on the shelf. So big or small, I would love to know what benefits you started experiencing right away or down the road. What'd you start to feel? I mean, it wasn't awesome right away. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Totally. Um, it was really hard. Like, there is a misconception of like, well, I can just stop drinking and I'll be fine. And it's like, no, it's hard. And so there needs to be plans in place. You know, I used to love just holding something and happy hour time was when I'd get a little irritable when I wasn't drinking. So I would go to a meeting at that time, or I'd pour myself something to like a LaCroix in a wine glass with ice and, um, you know, had certain things that, that helped me along the way. Um, but initially like I was sleeping better. I had less anxiety. I was less worried about things that I couldn't control. And none of this was conscious. It was just, 
you know, I'm a huge advocate for journaling. So I like tracked things just for my own good um, that ended up becoming a book. But, um, you know, the things that I was fighting with my husband husband about were like made up during the times I was drinking. Um, I was yelling at my kids less. I was um, feeling more energy and focus and clarity at work. Um, so, I mean, within the first 30 days, minus the first like <laughs> week to two, you know, where I was just like, ah, what do I do? Um, I started noticing the shift and then it just kept getting better and better and better. Um, and some of those betters were leaving a toxic practice I was working in, um, and starting my own business Mm. and, um, writing a book that all my colleagues were like, Oh, you shouldn't do that. Therapists don't really share their story. You're supposed to be the expert. What will your clients think of you? Um, and I did it anyway, and it had the opposite effect. Um, and just, it kept building from there and evolving from there. Um, you know, my story, it does have a lot of trauma in it that was probably self, some of the symptoms were self-soothed by alcohol. Um, and I always knew I wanted to write a book and it took me like 10 years between having kids of like picking it up, not, you know, not looking at it for a year. Yeah. And I was like, why can't I get this damn book written? Well, it was because I wasn't sober yet. (laughs) So like, those are the end chapters of the book. And um, so then publishing a book and, you know, then kind of not on purpose being this face in the media of um, shining a light on mommy drinking culture. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I got sober nine years ago, you know, I tried moderation management, I tried AA, um, and that did eventually click. But I feel like now I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I wish I had all these amazing things when I first got <laughs> sober. Um, you know, and I have clients now who are in the sober curious journey on their own sober curious journey. And they fall all you inspirers of pe- women um, who are living a sober life and sharing their journey without shame or embarrassment. And, um, and that's relatable. Yeah. And nine years ago, I mean, it wasn't what it is now. I mean, there was not, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there weren't a ton of communities. There weren't a ton of Instagram accounts, you know, sharing out loud. Like it was very different if you were kind of sober curious. Am I right? A hundred percent. I mean, I was like reading all the memoirs of Mm -hmm. women and there weren't a ton out there. I mean, a lot of them were celebrities that had shared their story about their journey in sobriety. And I was just so hungry for Mm -hmm. hearing like, how did other women do it? Um, and so, yeah, I didn't even have Instagram nine years ago. I don't think so, I did either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you mentioned your book. I want to hear more about the book. So it is your memoir, correct? And it's it called is. Myself, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And you have actually, I'm looking at my notes so I don't mess it up. You produced it into a short film. I did. Right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Amazing. And so, <laughs> thank you. I mean, talk about the gifts of sobriety and the things that are possible, you know, I mean, what has that whole experience been like for you? I mean, just putting it out there. Um, it has been a labor of love, no doubt. Yeah. Um, there were many roadblocks along the way. I mean, nobody's family wants them to write an autobiography or a memoir. Um, you know, but part of 
the reason I wanted to do it was because there were so many secrets Mm -hmm. in my family and there was so much shame and embarrassment. And for me to finally be genuine and authentic was a huge part of my healing process. And hearing other women's stories is what helped me, which is why I felt, I mean, it was cathartic and therapeutic for me. Um, But then once it was published, it was like, I then had a whole nother community of people who were like, me too, me too. Um, So that was really cool. But um, the publisher that I had partnered with ended up going bankrupt like two weeks before the book was supposed to launch. So I'm having colleagues telling me like, do not publish this book. I had that happen. I'm like, it's just a sign. I'm not meant right. to do it. I should just not do it. And then I was like, no, I worked so hard on this and ended up self-publishing it on Amazon. So it's exclusively sold on Amazon. Um, and then I was on the Today Show sharing my story and they promoted the book and it became an Amazon bestseller. And I do a lot of speaking engagements and my husband's an actor. And so we were like, well, let's see if we can make a short film out of this and use it as a visual tool for speaking yeah. engagements. Um, and then we were set to shoot the week the pandemic hit. So it was like, ah, shouldn't do this. <laughs> like there Talk were a lot of roadblocks. roadblocks. Yes. <laughs> oh, you took the word right um, out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, but you know, we eventually ended up shooting it last summer and, um, have submitted it to lots of film festivals, mm. festivals. And in the film festival world, um, I guess a telly awards, a really big deal. And so we won a telly award for social issues and, Um, it's just been really cool. And to be able to, I mean, I really feel like I'm living in my purpose and, um, you know, huge mental health advocate, because that was a lot of what was underneath my drinking as well. Um, and untreated mental health issues are not good. (laughs) And, um, and so, yeah, so since I got sober, my brother got sober and is celebrating a sober anniversary of six years this week. And um, my mom is sober and I've got some cousins and an uncle and, you know, I have four children. The likelihood that one out of four of them will have a mental health or substance use issue is pretty high. And so we've educated them at a really young age, just about the genetic component of it. Um, And gratefully, socially, you know, they don't have to be exposed to that in our house. I mean, my husband still drinks. um, And that was something we needed to navigate when I first got sober too. But um, he doesn't abuse alcohol. And so um, the kids are really proud of it. You know, like yeah. when we're at parties, they'll be like, Hey, can I get a sip of your Diet Coke or, mm-hmm. you know, a sip of your LaCroix or whatever it is. They just, um, and they talk openly with me about those things. Um, and the yeah. pressures that they experience throughout their life with that as high school kids. And you get to be there for them, you know, and just have that open conversation. What a gift, you know, that you can just mm-hmm. be clear-minded and, have those tough conversations, you know? So Mm. what a good feeling. Thank you for saying that because there was a a moment. um, I remember one of my last drinks, I was in my kitchen and the kids were all playing and I was just like looking out and I was like, how my kids were six, four, two, and like six months when I got sober. And um, I 
was like, how am I going to drive these kids to their activities? If I keep drinking, like I wouldn't be able to wait till nine o'clock until I could have my first drink. Um, and I remember telling my dad that I was, who is an active alcoholic, um, that I was going to quit drinking. He said, how the hell are you going to raise those kids sober? Right. Right. (laughs) how am I going to raise them still drinking? That was like a huge turning point for me. So being a sober mom is an, it's an honor because I don't know what kind of mom I would be if I was still drinking. And it's interesting how those, just kind of those one-liners I feel like kind of fuel you too, you know, Mm -hmm. like, or at least kind of give you that shift of perspective, you know, because I remember I was probably really early in my journey and I remember running into a, a running buddy of mine and She's like, so this, this no drinking thing, you know, cause I had openly talked about it on social media at that point. And, uh, she's like, huh, boy, mom, she's like, just wait till summer hits. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, okay, you know, and I kind of slapped a smile on my face, but inside I'm like, watch me, like, come on. Like, <laughs> you know, for me, it, it encourages me and motivates me. Like, no, this is important. Like mm-hmm. I want to do summer sober. I want to be there sober, you know? And so mm. It's, it's, it's interesting when we're on the other side now and we can see kind of those responses or, or the way that people kind of project maybe their own relationship with alcohol, perhaps. So, hmm. sure. And, you know, those are mantras that I still carry with me today, you know, that, um, when friends of mine are relapsing during the pandemic or, you know, deciding like the sober thing isn't for them, our our minds are tricky. You know, there are times I'm like, that bad, you know, and I have to remind myself of those mantras, um, and play the tape forward and think about what it was like, because it's, if I want to get a drink, I can go get a drink, but I don't want to, you know, so sometimes we forget, which is why it is a daily practice of, you know, I mean, my prescription is meditation, journaling, um, moving my body, connecting with somebody and physical touch. Like those are things that really ground me. Um, and I kind of use those as, as, um, touchstones of like how I'm doing, you know, did you hit those things today? Right. Exactly. And like you said, playing that tape forward. Okay. Have I used my tools? What's going on? Does mom Mm -hmm. really need a drink or does she just need a break for a minute? (laughs) You know? Yes. Oh, I think I ask myself that a lot. <laughs> Mom, I need to slow down for a minute. <laughs> oh, I just say I'm going to put myself on a timeout at this point. I'll be like, Mom's going for a timeout. I'll be in my room. Yep. Nobody like, come in. She's just yeah. fine. <laughs> well, that, you know, that kind of segues into something. I don't know. I think a lot of us are experiencing right now is just that mommy burnout right now. I mean, we came off of, I mean, I don't know, in my opinion, the peak of mommy wine culture, then we smack dab go into a pandemic. And now we're, I think maybe on the other side, or at least the world feels like it's somewhat back to normal, whatever that looks like. Have you been, you know, is that kind of the same where you are, where you are just experiencing this exhaustion, this new level of exhaustion with moms around you? I am. And, you know, as a women's mental health expert, I am seeing the the trauma from it on the other side, you know, and people saying like, wow, I gave myself a break during the pandemic and allowed myself to drink and just like try to keep my head above water. And now I'm realizing I'm really dependent on alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the exhaustion piece is so true because 
any of us who have children, um, you know, taking care of their needs, their mental health needs, their understanding of the world that we live in. Um, it's like we're working overtime. You know, we have to check ourselves and make sure we're doing okay. Right. And then we also have to check our kids and our partner. And, um, and it's a lot. It's a lot. I, it, it oftentimes, um, and I, I talk to other moms who say, you know, they're just trying to like get through the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of where I think a lot of people in my area or moms I've talked to have been, you know, kind of where they're at, what they're experiencing, where it's like, we had this pandemic where our calendar was empty, you know, mm -hmm. and now mm -hmm. we're thrown back into the real world. And we've got just this new layer of just stress. And I mean, I think that's motherhood in a nutshell, but <laughs> I think we, sure. I think we came out of it thinking, Hey, it's okay to have an empty calendar. It's okay to say no to all these things. And I don't know about you, but I'm not doing really good about <laughs> taking that <laughs> advice that I had, uh, had put out there. So, oh man, it is, it is a struggle, but we'll get there. Right. Well, and there was no transition. It was no. from, from being, having all this time with our family and it's not normal to spend that much time with your family <laughs> to then everybody, you know, you hit the ground running and right. people are, in, our kids want to be social maybe, you know, and so they want to be involved in things. And then I, I find that that is a, a huge problem for a lot of um, women and men, just the overscheduling and overcommitments. And it's like, pick one or two things a week, you know, and, right. or as we tell our kids, you know, you get one sport and one other activity. You know, I, I do see kids in our community who parents run them all over Chicago land and they are in four or five different sports. And it's like, that's horrible modeling, um, for our kids who are then going to grow up feeling anxious and overwhelmed and feeling like they have to overachieve. What a great point. Yeah. I, I see the same thing. And it's like, like you said, pretty much training them to believe that that is the level of busyness that they should be doing to be successful. Am I right? Yeah. And that's yeah. how you identify your worth. How, yeah. how much am I doing? What's my productivity? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's something we have to keep an eye on as a, a society and normalize, like you have to take a break. Oh, you know, you have to rest. Hmm. Gosh, good stuff. Well, looking forward, I'm kind of jumping all around because that's what I do. Um, what's next for you, my friend? I mean, are there more books coming up? Are there new projects? And I always like to also mention that if you've got nothing big on the horizon, that's okay too. You know, it can just be doing what you're doing right now, which is, which is amazing stuff. But I'd be mm. curious if you have anything on the list. Sure. Um, definitely not another book. That was okay. like a fifth child that, that <laughs> was one and done. Um, but no, we're really trying to get the film picked up as a series or a feature. Um, so constantly pitching that for anybody who might be interested. I mean, the time is now, I think the New York post reported that drinking among women is up 323% since the start of the pandemic. I'm like, how is that even possible? But I believe it. Um, so really, you know, wanting to push that along and influence more people. Um, I'm speaking at the largest world mental health conference in November in Disney um, with some sober celebrities, Rob Lowe, um, 
Kurt, I don't Russell Brand. I was thinking Kurt Russell, Russell Brand, um, Whoopi Goldberg. Just it, it will be, you know, a collaboration of mental health and substance use um, influencers. And then, um, you know, just continuing in my private practice. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some big names. Yeah. I mean, I'm at the bottom of the list. You know, I'm not trying to no. toot my own horn by that any is means. That is amazing. But the reason I say that is because so much of this work is hustling, mm-hmm. you know, and like who thinks that this is a cool project and who would pick it up. And so I don't come across those people every day. So like, that's an opportunity to showcase the film and tell my story and, you know, maybe impact somebody who would want to do more with the um, film. Yeah. So cool. Oh, I'm excited. I'll add all of that in the show notes too, so that people oh, can kind thank of be- you be looking for it and know where to find everything. Well, I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours. There's just so much good stuff. And I feel like you, you're just doing so much good work. And I really appreciate people like you that, that find their purpose and serve others. So thank you for all that you're doing. If I haven't mentioned it. But um, thank you, Jess. I'm oh, gonna put yeah. that in my back pocket. Get me through <laughs> this week. It's only Monday. <laughs> Note to self: replay minute what in this episode when you need to hear it. No, <laughs> I'll do. That will be my mantra for the week. You're doing good work, Kelly. You're doing. You're good doing work. it. <laughs> um, but one of the one of the last questions I always like to ask my guest is to the one person or many that are listening right now and are feeling inspired to make a change what advice would you give them? To ditch the label of, um, am I an alcoholic or am I not? Is it that bad? Am I bad enough? Um, and start small. You know, I think that a lot of people who are curious or thinking about changing their relationship with alcohol are hungry for, conversations like this, um, and for books and for relatability. And I think that rather than trying to evaluate, am I bad enough? Is my story similar? Just try to listen and not judge and don't sign up for I'm never drinking again. I think that that's really scary for people. And that is, um, too overwhelming. So it's like, I'm going to continue to get gather information and maybe try shifting some behaviors and maybe you'll feel inspired to say, you know what, this is really clear to me that I don't want to drink anymore. And just kind of listen to your gut because our head is going to tell us so many differing opinions. So it's like, ultimately I knew at a, a long time ago because it never really felt right to me. Mm. Um, but I had all the intellectual battle in my head um, that kept me drinking for a really long time. So if I would have just stuck with that gut intuition, I don't know, maybe I would have gotten, maybe I would, <laughs> maybe I would have lived a teenage sober life. I don't know. <laughs> oh, but everything happens for a reason. You know, I'm a firm believer that all of our experiences are what what make us, you know, so it brought us yeah. here today. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how can people get in touch with you? What, what can I direct them to? I'll have everything in the show notes, but what's the best way for them to get in contact? 
Sure. So um, my website is Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y, Kitley, K-I-T-L-E-Y.com. And that will have links to different media appearances that I've done, um, my social media handles, um, the link to purchase the book, or if anybody's interested in um, working with me, I am a a licensed clinical social worker in um, Illinois. And so anybody who's local in the state um, can work with me. And um, yeah. And Instagram, I'm, you know, I'm kind of old school. Like I said, I'm 44. So I'm still like trying to figure out. (laughs) I saw you have like 10,000 followers or something. I'm like, I don't even know how that happened. How do you do this? No, like just still learning the hashtags and all that. And does it even matter? You know, so, um, so yeah, just, I'm, I'm trying to do my thing and, and plug different things and, you know, inspire from a distance. So. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today and I'm excited for all that's ahead and just appreciate you. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, you can head over to decidedlydry.com. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe and to leave an awesome rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. It's sure been a treat spending this time with you. And just remember, if the only thing you did today was stay sober, you are winning. I'll see you next time.